go to these shows with your primary focus being feedback, your secondary focus being that, that return on investment or profit, because mm. that feedback can help you get that profit. Because what if it's your pricing that's the issue? What if it's right. the packaging? You have to tweak those things to make sales. Start making money with your art today. Welcome to the Artist Appeals Podcast. My name's Erin Sparler, and I'm here to support you on your way to becoming a self-sustained full-time artist. Each week, my guests and I will share practical tips you can apply to start making money with your art. Ready to learn more? Be sure to check out theartistappeals.com forward slash go. Welcome, Ajel. Uh, I mispronounced your name in the very first take of this. So tell me, how and where does this beautiful name come from? So my sister actually made it up when she was eight years old. Um, I know. She came up with the spelling and the pronunciation. She loved the French language and she wanted a name that sounded French. So, oh, it does. Yeah. So Agel. Agel. Yeah. Well, beautiful. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. And where are you coming from right now? I am at the tail end of my honeymoon in Colombia. We're in Bogota at a beautiful like Airbnb with like a outdoor area and a patio. It's just beautiful. It's really brilliant. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on the Artist Appeals. So we're going to yeah. start right away with the five rapid fire questions. And I've massaged these a little bit because you are the toy expert. <laughs> um, so number one, what is the number one top selling toy that you've helped develop? Yeah, I'd ha- I had to think about this for a little bit, but I guess it was something really recent. I designed um, this <laughs> item called uh, MC Lobster. Uh, it's what? an adult, it's an adult toy. It's, it actually stands for menstruation crustacean. <laughs> I was thinking like MC hammer. Yeah. It's so like MC lobster, I guess was like the, in, the internal term that we would call it when we were working on it. So it's officially the menstruation crustacean. Um, and it's just like a plush lobster that has like a heating pad in it, um, oh. for your, you know, time of the month. And it also holds a tampon for you. So you- <laughs> <laughs> An emergency yes. tampon. <laughs> yes. And like, I remember when I got the product, I was like, this is so silly. And then I used it and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so perfect. So yeah, it keeps uh, your tummy warm and comforts you while you're going. Does it like vibrate? No, it doesn't. It's just a cute lobster. I mean, I didn't come up with a concept. I was just a designer on it. So I designed his look and his shape Mm -hmm. and did the Mm -hmm. turnaround drawings and stuff. So (laughs) we'll have to get a picture of that to stick in here or a link. I want to see this. It's from the company. What do you mean? If you're looking for it. What do you mean? Fantastic. Yeah. 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 All right. Number two, what is the one thing you love to do in your business? Um, I love a lot of things, but it depends on my mood. So sometimes I'm like, I love just answering student questions because it's really free flowing. You know, they're already a part of my program and they're just popping questions into like our, our, um, kind of chat. Mm -hmm. And I love just being able to help them out really quickly and directly. Um, but then I go, what's your program? Oh, toy creators Academy. Cool. And then I also just get a lot of joy out of connecting them when things work out. Because, and also, I mean, even when things don't work out, there's like 
a lot of people have had these like dreams for toy ideas for so long. And the fact that I can, you know, if an idea is ready or if I can help an idea get ready, that I can connect them with the right person who can make something happen for them or just tell them if it's, if it's worth them continuing to develop it. It just, it's awesome to see them like, they're like, oh, I I never thought I'd be able to connect with the inventor relations person from Hasbro or from this company. And I love making that happen. So, oh, that is so cool. That must be really gratifying to hook them up. I get it. I get it. I remember when my students would go out and get, you know, a job or an internship (laughs) and they'd come back and they'd be like, oh, I'm doing this amazing thing. And you kind of live vicariously through it. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So number three, what is the one thing you hate? to do in your business? Like analyzing my finances (laughs) (laughs) and adjusting prices and products and services accordingly. Uh, I hate it. Cause like, you know, I love doing what I do. And honestly, I would love to figure out a way to not have to get paid for it. (laughs) I just want to do it. I just want to do it. I don't want to have to charge, but when you get those financial creatives, yeah. I think so many creators, that is what we hear all the time is right. you know, we just want to make what we want to make. Just, and, and, yeah. and it's so fun and it's so amazing and we would mm-hmm. do it for free. I think right. that is when you know you're really on the right path is when you do it anyways and not even get paid for it. Right. I, yeah. Every time I get my financial statement, I'm like, okay, so I need to do more of this and less of this. I got to charge more for this. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Right. All right. Number four, what is the funniest or weirdest experience you've had in the toy world? Um, I would probably say meeting my now husband. (laughs) Besides the menstruation crustacean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) okay. Two things. Meeting my husband because I didn't know we went to the same college, but we didn't go for the same major at the same time. So I randomly had gone to a networking event that normally I don't go to. It happens every year at New York Toy Fair. And I randomly went to this networking event and I saw a friend of mine. I was like, hey, friend. And then across the (laughs) table, I saw my now husband and I remembered him from like six years ago in college. We weren't even friends. I just remembered seeing him. And I was like, Christian Castro. And then like, that's how our whole relationship started. So that's kind of crazy. With a question. Yeah. With an assault, assault on his name. <laughs> yeah. um, but other than that, I would say one time I was at a toy industry event and I was recording content because everything is content. And I go, I hold up my phone and I'm like, hey, there are toy people. And uh, off to the right, someone goes, hey, I know who you are. And I was like, what? that's so cool because of the podcast and like the right. toy coach and stuff. So that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. I had that happen at Astra just this year where right. I was sitting there and I met with Matt and he's like, Oh yeah, I watched one of your episodes. I'm like, what? You right. Somebody watched me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's always so, so startling. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what episode? <laughs> He's like, Larry Elmore. And I, which is, you know, kind of totally off the, off the radar. Like Larry Elmore is not in the toy field. So it was really neat that he watched that episode. Yeah, who's he? Uh, Larry Elmore is this fantastic older gentleman that has illustrated like 200 covers for some of the great, great science fiction and fantasy books like oh. um, King and Isaac Isimov. And what? he's an illustrator. He does science fiction and fantasy art. Like like some of those, <laughs> I don't want to call it cheesy, but you know, like the 80s Conan yeah. the Barbarian books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was kind of 
one of those like guys that did that stuff way back in the day and has been doing it ever since. Like oh, he's, cool. he's amazing. Yeah. His episode was really neat. Cause he shared his, um, he shared his private collection with us. So instead oh, of it wow. being more of a how-to, it's more of a, a look into his private art collection, the ones he's kept and the stories behind them. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Really fun episode. All right. So number five is one of these traditional ones. What is the one most important piece of advice you would give yourself if you were just starting out again today? Like knowing what you know now, what would you tell mm-hmm. your younger self? <laughs> I would say, oh, how young? How young are we going? No, it's okay. <laughs> Same advice. I would probably say, listen to your gut, listen to what you want to do, regardless of what other people say you should or is the right way. Um, of course, there's limitations, but I think I have this propensity to question myself. Mm. And all it does is slow down progress. And mm. I see now, more than ever, and you probably agree that there's no one path to success. And so many of the successful people in, in the creative field, in the online world, even stars, they kind of did it their own way. They forged their own path. They didn't go one specific direction. So I think I just say like, listen to my gut. If I want to do something weird or an oddball way or out of order, if I want to do Uh, something for fun that people think I should be paid for or something I want to be paid for that people think I should do for fun. Like just follow my own gut, you know? And yeah, that's really good advice. You know, we creators really do come at these from such different ways. You know, everybody comes at this from a different way. And and that's one thing the podcast really shows is there's no right path. There's no specific way, but what this does is tries to find that common thread, common threads. And so Using the common threads, what I did is I made an acronym for the podcast, Appeals. And so I try and always keep these things in order by following that acronym of art, product, presentation, educate, amplify, licensing and contract terms, Mm. and success measurements. So we're going to roll through those real quick. And uh, here we go. So, So Art, you are a toy coach and a toy designer. Tell me just a little bit about how you came into this world of toys. Oh, I just loved kids. Like I don't, for, for a very long time, I actually wanted to be a teacher first. I was telling my grandma and my sister, my whole family, I'm like, I'm going to be a teacher one day. I just want to help kids. Um, that eventually turned into me uh, kind of focusing on exhibition design, like children's exhibitions in college. Okay, like um, kids' museums and stuff? Yeah. So I was in an exhibition design program, but it was only a two-year program. So I needed another Mm. two years afterwards. And I was talking to one of my teachers and he was like, you know, you're doing all these kids' exhibitions. Like, why don't you check out the toy program? And I was like, what the heck? What, there's a toy program? What does that mean? What school Um, did you go to? uh, The Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Fantastic. Good school. Great school. And so affordable back then. So... (laughs) And yes, I went out for the toy design major and the person who started the program took a liking to me, took me under a wing. I worked really hard and and got in. And ever since then, it just kind of stayed, I stayed in the toy industry. Oh, fantastic. So what was the first toy you ever designed? Like not professionally? Yeah. Oh man, it was so bad. It was a, <laughs> it was a brownie. <laughs> a brownie? Like a piece of food? 
<laughs> yeah, it was like a, a personified brownie. So okay. his, his name was Chip. I don't even remember what he did, honestly, but I had drawn <laughs> this brownie with like a chef hat and like these big eyes and like arms and it was so ugly and weird. <laughs> and he was brown and he had chocolate chips and I don't, it was so bad. I was so shocked she let me into that program. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, yeah, his name was Chip. <laughs> you know, it's it's those early trials and errors and silliness <laughs> that get us where you know you've got to pivot right right so okay so um what was the first toy you designed professionally then oh I think uh well okay I guess professionally technically it'd be my internships I worked at Madame Alexander for about three four months as an intern I designed six about seven dolls for them so oh, cool. I think the first one was either this doll themed after the on top of spaghetti nursery rhyme. Okay. Or a side on top of old spaghetti. On top of spaghetti. All covered with cheese. Yeah. So (laughs) I think the first project was they wanted to do nursery rhyme dolls and they were like, but we need nursery rhymes we've never done before. So I came up with a bunch and they all like four of them got approved. So I made like a nice. little bunny foo-foo on top of spaghetti. I don't remember the other ones. Actually. Oh, I love little bunny foo-foo. I remember that from going to camp. Little bunny, bunny foo-foo hopping through the forest. Yes. Picking the up the field mice and popping them on the head. You got to do yes. that. <laughs> yes. They, no one knew what it was. They were like, what's that? How do you not know? How do you not know little bunny foo-foo? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's one of the best morals, too. Be nice to someone or else the fairy will get you, man. The fae will get you. The fae will get you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So what is the first step in developing a toy? How do you come yeah. up with your ideas? So different ways. It depends. Um, if you're just a creative and you just want to come up with any idea, I say look outside of the toy industry for inspiration, like Mm -hmm. really outside. I went on a bachelorette party uh, not too long ago. And I went to this amazing theater performance that inspired so many toy ideas for me. And it was just the colors. And I'm almost scared to ask a bachelorette party theater. No, no, it was, it was like burlesque. It was like burlesque. It's called. I love burlesque. Okay. It was just beautiful and astonishing and inspiring. And and the best toy ideas, like LOL Surprise, came Mm. from outside of the toy industry, like not looking at what everybody else is doing, but instead looking at just interesting art and what kids are already engaging in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's first. But when you're working full time in the industry, it's a little bit more structured, which I kind of like. where they come and they say, we've got a problem. Problem is our competitor is taking over this part of the arts and crafts aisle. We need Mm. to compete with them. We need something at the $10 price point has to be innovative, patentable. What can you come up with? So Mm. that's, I like that because for me, that's challenging and that's like critical thinking and problem solving. Yeah. In that case, you're doing more like research, like active research, reading reviews online, figuring out what people like and don't like about existing products, and then going into toy stores and seeing what exists and what the price points are and how much product um, is, how much components are in each product at those price points. 
Interesting. Very cool. You know, that's interesting because it kind of parallels the art licensing field a little bit in that you're looking at trends, right? Yes, 100%. So do yeah. trends become a big thing for you guys? Do you do trend reports in the toy market? Yeah, I actually, when at my first job, we did an internal trend report because we were the innovations team. So we would look at trends that people would identify, like, you know, Pantone has a color of the year. You can look yep. at fashion shows to see uh, fabric trends that might translate mm-hmm. to toys. But we would also try to identify up and coming trends by looking at things like new movie releases, um, mm. by looking at just the fashion industry and how people are creating playful things in, in that world and like products in the home goods sector and try mm. to identify trends that might be coming down the line. And we would build trend reports off of that. So yeah, definitely. You're looking at oh. current trends, but the toy industry works a year out. So you actually want to identify coming trends. Right. So how do you build a, tw- a trend report? Do you just take pictures and put them in a PDF or like, okay. is it yeah. just totally random? No, no, no. It's a good one. So we would, so, <laughs> I, so no, it's a great question. So I would start back in the day. I would start a lot with Pinterest. Mm. Um, searching a lot of different things, just trying to get like a base, like where's the, where, where do people think trends are right now? I also like to look at what they were the year prior, because I Mm. think looking at the year prior, looking at right now will help you kind of draw a timeline and a a thesis on what's to come. Right. Ah, yeah. Like it's a progression. Yeah. Like, where is it? We just did, you know, Aztec, then everybody shifted to metallic and you try to look at I actually, in my course, Joy Creators Academy, as I'm talking about this, I'm realizing I had, I have in there something called a trend timeline. Mm. And it's the same concept where you look at what happened in the past, say Aztec print was really popular. What, what else was happening when Aztec print was really, really popular? Was it a movie? Um, you know, was it a TV show? What, why mm-hmm. did that become popular? Then you look at right now, what's really popular? Why is that happening? That helps you predict the future. So, okay, so now what movies are, is Disney going to release in two years or one year? You can find all that out online. What books are planned to come out? Um, mm. You know, what kind of fashion are people talking about? Or, or is gonna, what is the, the colors that are going to be for next season? So you can kind of create your own little timeline to figure out what is to come. Hello, friends. I want to take a quick second and thank you for listening. And I wanted to tell you about a special new book. Yep, that's right. The Artist Appeals is now an ebook. How cool is that? It took a really long time to put together, but we've saved you all the work and all the effort. So if you want to to get everything you need all in one place so you can focus on doing what you love most, creating, then get your copy of The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps Instantly. Plus, for a limited time, you'll get three free bonuses. That's right. You get the whole ebook, which has over 200 color pictures and is gorgeously laid out and easy to read and peruse. Plus, you'll also get the Artist Appeals workbook, which has over 80 pages of checklists and worksheets so that you can keep all your business documents and information all in one spot. And you'll get the Artist Appeals one-page planner, brings it all together in one place, fill it out, put it on your wall as a gentle reminder of where you're going. And 
then you'll also get the Artist Appeals online course with over 55 more lessons, and I'm adding more all the time. So you get all this for 90% off or just the price of one book. You can get your copy of The Artist Appeals plus three free bonuses at howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. Go to howtomakemoneyasanartist.com, no spaces, now to get your copy today. Fascinating. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Very cool. Um, So... That leads us to the product end of this, P for product. So you find your inspiration, these trends, right? And um, then you've got to turn it into a product. Can you just walk us through a little bit of your thought process or your particular process for how you take an idea, you know, this trend reports idea and then a prototype or? Sure. So when I want to split it into two halves because yeah. when you're working for a company, it's a very different experience than when you're doing it for yourself. Um, when you're working with a, for a company, toy company, there's so many more checks and balances. So say you do that research, you have an idea. I'm going to give an example of a time we did this. Um, our problem to solve was coming up with an idea for the uh, fashion uh, craft market. Uh, so we did the research, we came up with a concept, we prepared an entire pitch deck for this concept. We did product renderings. We made a couple of samples mm-hmm. and we then at that stage, what you do is you pitch it to the, the head of the department, or in this case, it was the CMO and the CMO at the time didn't like what we had. He was like, <laughs> it's not innovative enough. So we're like, oh my gosh, we just spent a month working on this. We got to go back. We got to fix it. We got to make him happy. I don't want to lose my job, you know? <laughs> Right. All those high stress. Yeah. High stress. So then my boss and I at the time went back and within like 15 minutes, we came up with like a major innovation. It was something that was patentable. It just, I don't know. I think all the month of planning and research and then, you know, that challenge coming from the CMO just kind of sparked us. Um, so the idea that we came up with was a, a system that would simplify screen printing and would combine the, the paint packet and the, the screen, um, the, the squeegee that spreads the paint all into one. Uh, and we came up with it. We made a little prototype, meaning we, we used like styrene sheets that we had in the office. We used mm-hmm. plastic. We put paint together, we made a little prototype. We tested it. It worked, took a video, sent it to the CMO. How's this? And loved it. So then from there, what happens is it actually went over to another team, like the design development team who right. designed the packaging and the logo um, and then it went to another team was like the product team who mm-hmm. figured out the placement of how they would present it in store. And they put together the presentation. It went off to meetings uh, with like retailers like Walmart mm-hmm. and Target. They placed orders and eventually it ended up in store. In the, I guess I should say in the meantime, we were on the back end doing development with an overseas factory. Uh, while the design team was doing their design development, we were developing the the packet itself to make sure we had the right thickness of styrene, the right thickness of paint, the right, right. thickness of the plastic that would hold the paint. The tear um, function was working properly. So there's like a lot of things happening. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of technical yeah. stuff. Yeah. So if you were one person right. and you wanted to boil this down and do this all yes. yourself and you don't have a team, how do you create a yeah, product so- from your idea? Yeah. So you, so the only thing I like to caution people when they're doing it themselves 
you don't have that person to be your checks and balances, the person who's going to tell you like, oh, this isn't innovative enough, like pump the brakes. So that's why I think when you're doing it yourself, research and like surveys is your most important step. You come mm. up with the idea, you might even make a handmade prototype. You should make a handmade prototype, but then you should start asking people who aren't related to you, who aren't your friends, <laughs> like what they really think of this product and maybe not even be in the room with them when they answer, maybe have someone else get them to answer and record it so that you can have an unbiased, objective view of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not being afraid to tell the truth because they know the creators in the room, right? Right. And before you go and you work with a factory in China or you hire a graphic artist to help you with packaging mm-hmm. or anything like that, you want to do that research and get the, the feedback so you don't waste your money on the wrong product. And then, or even if it needs a slight tweak or a pivot too. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely going to need a pivot or a tweak. Honestly, you're not doing the toy design right if you don't have to change anything at all. You have to, you, I mean, you, no one's perfect. No idea is perfect out of the gate. You want changes. It will make good it advice. It is true. When I did the iConnect craft stuff, I thought it was originally for the mixed media field and uh-huh. that we would put it together with brass uh, eyelets that we would use right? these. Oh, I tested all these eyelet setters. And then there was this one that I really love from Fiskars. Uh-huh. It was spring. It was like a spring. Oh, I actually probably have one here. And you, yeah, here, look at this. I got one right here. And you uh-huh. take this thing and you put the brass eyelet there and you, you pull it up and whap, oh. you snap it. And it leaves this huge dent in your work surface. So you got to oh, have no. it. Pre- it was fantastically fun. It makes very satisfying thump but i found out kids can't do this and neither can most of the scrapbookers like you have to have arm strength you have to have uh, you have to have it snap straight down um so even though no tools required other than this so we pivoted to mini brads and that seemed to be much better but we're pivoting right now yeah um i think you've always got to be pivoting right pivot 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 but you see like <laughs> i love that like that for me is a jump i don't know what your mini brass is. But for me, I see that and I'm like, well, how could you keep that fun thump? And how could you keep that spring action? Oh, I see. So these are one sixteenth inch mini brads. They're rounded on one edge and you stick them through two pieces of chipboard. And then you use this tool to spread the other side so that it becomes rounded as well and holds yeah into the paper fantastically fun i think i have the only uh retail market for where you can buy packages of those because i still get people that find me out of the blue and they're like oh they use them on oh random things um the train the model train industry occasionally hits me up for them for their tents for grommets on their miniature trains. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. So anyways, all right. So um, definitely test, test, test your your uh, prototype, right? All right. So product is important. And, you know, I think it's really fabulous to have you on because you're a toy designer. But I think a lot of creatives have artwork that can translate into toys or ideas yeah. that can in- translate into toys. I meet a lot of designers that want to make card games or they want to put their art on tarot cards. Kind of a random question, 
that wasn't on our list. <laughs> but so for someone that's like a, an artist, a real creative who wants to make something, say like tarot cards or a card game or even a board game, do you have any suggestions on um, where to get prototypes for that type of thing or how to um, start going about it? Yes. I mean, hopefully your artists already have, and I think they do, um, they already have kind of a following because I think that's the number one thing. We want to create a product, but you want people to buy it, right? <laughs> so we, we want to make sure you have a little bit of a following. But once you have that set, um, you just got to find the right factory. Uh, I actually just had a great factory on my on my show. Um, they're called Long Pack Toys. Hmm. Uh, this for my podcast was episode 137. Okay. Um, great, great factory in the sense of they are open to working with people kind of just starting out mm. uh, and they do specialize in like p- paper goods games initially. Mm-hmm. So I think that's always beneficial for someone just starting. Um, right. if that com- if that factory's MOQs, meaning minimum order quantities are too high for you, or if they're too busy to take on your project right now, I would, I always recommend people starting with a resource like Alibaba um, I talked about that like early on my podcast too, just about going online, researching factories in China. You want to search by the type of product you want to create. Then you want to filter by companies that have been around at least five years, uh, oh, factor- good factories that have been around at least five years, but most of them by now are like seven, 10 plus years. Um, and then, you know, you just want to start having a conversation of what is the cost to get a sample of, pro- of my product made. Um, for tarot cards and the things you were mentioning, it's actually the easiest pro- type of toy product to create. Yeah. I always recommend yeah. people start with paper goods whenever you can, because like yeah. the MOQ is so low and you can actually get a pre-production sample that looks like production opposed to plastic goods where you have to invest right. in a mold before you can get a real pre-production sample. Um, right. So yeah. So I would say start looking for a factory, start talking to them about making samples then prep, prep your artwork, which if you're an artist, you probably already know what that means. Like set up your artwork for printing. Um, if you don't know, you can usually ask the factory, how do you like to receive artwork? And they will tell you mm. um, and start that first sample. Uh, yeah. Make sure you're, you have a clear understanding of what your um, retail price would be. So you know how much of a factory cost you can uh, manage in order to actually turn a profit. I know we don't like to talk about profit as creatives, but <laughs> no, no, on this <laughs> show, we always want to talk money. Let's talk the elephant in the room. Always yeah, got to make the profit. Well, um, otherwise you can't keep doing it. Yeah. Do you want to get everything you need, all the information, all the tips, tricks, stories, all in one place. So you can just focus on doing what you love creating Well, now you can. You can get an instant copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. That's right. Get the new book, The Artist Appeals, plus three free bonuses at howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. So, we, you mentioned earlier having a little bit of a following, but I know that's a big question for a lot of artists and creatives and feedback too. You know, it might be hard. A lot of artists are more introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
What a, what do you think about the idea of taking like getting a print on demand sample and going to a conference um, and getting feedback that way from the general public? Do you ever recommend that or, um, yeah. you know, as kind of a testing prototype? Yeah, I would recommend that. So like before I had the toy coach, I had a company, I still have it. I just have, don't really do it, but it's called Costumize Me where I did fashion. And so I did a lot of trade shows where I brought my physical products to the show. And I do wish that I invested less in inventory early on because I was getting so much good feedback when right. I went to the show that I was like, oof, I would love to do what you're saying, but like, I have all this inventory. How about you buy this first? And then right. <laughs> I'll, get to, I'll get to that idea you had. Um and but don't yeah. invest in inventory, invest in product samples yes. and go to shows. If you don't have friends and family, that'll give you honest feedback. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And be right. open-minded because I feel like when I went to trade shows, I didn't like clothing trade shows or fairs. Mm-hmm. I was going with the mindset of, oh, I have this, these goods to sell, but I wasn't really going with a mindset of, I should get feedback on my product. And because of that, when I got the feedback, I kind of heard it, but it wasn't my primary focus. I would say for people doing this, go to these shows with your primary focus being feedback, your secondary focus being that that return on investment or profit, because Mm. that feedback can help you get that profit. Because what if it's your pricing that's the issue? What if it's the packaging? You have to tweak those things to make sales. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. You know, um, I got tons of amazing feedback on iConnect Crafts products at the last two, two toy shows, uh, Toy Fest West and Astra. And, and if I didn't have an open mindset to hearing that, I think it would have been painful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not like, painful. I'm not here for that. You're like, you're like, I'm not here, I'm here to, for you to buy it. You- right. Or like you want to argue with them. Well, this is yeah. why I did it. Instead of just, you know, being open and receptive, you kind of want, you end up being like, yeah, but, but I tested all these and this is the way we do it because, yes, because there's so much rationale when you're developing a product. So you really do have to be open. So presentation, we did art, we did product, we did presentation. Um, What are some best practices or um, tips or tricks you can share with us on packaging, because I know how important presentation is in yeah. the fine art world, yeah. as well as in the toy world. You're competing against thousands and thousands of other SKUs, both in the remaining toy stores on the shelf and online. So what are some best practices for packaging? The big image you see on a, the front of a box is called the beauty shot in the toy industry. Mm, okay. That, that beauty shot should explain what the product does without the person needing to read it. Mm. Um, people's tension spans are short. They might mm-hmm. not get close enough to see the text. So like your beauty shot and maybe like your logo should give the person an understanding of like what is going on. Um, yeah. initially, especially if you don't have a strong brand identity where you're not already known and you're expecting right. people to just walk by and be drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then aside from that, it's really just knowing if your product is going into a retail space, knowing what other products are in that retail space and what their colors are and what their packaging style is so that you can choose, are you going to be um, someone who kind of differentiates their packaging 
Or are you going to try to assimilate your packaging and almost look like an off-brand version of something that might be cheaper, you know, or a little Mm. bit better? So there's different ways to to attack it. Are you going to try to just look like a a cheaper, more affordable alternative? Or are you going to try to differentiate yourself with packaging and stand out? Like maybe everyone's doing craft packaging and you're like, I'm going to do rainbow packaging, like Lisa Frank rainbow. You know, you've got to know what exists in the market so you can choose how you're going to stand out or how you're going to blend in. Who's Lisa Frank? Stop it. (laughs) Stop the madness. I, I really don't think I know. I'm going to have to look her up. Wait, really? No, yes, you do. Uh, no. She, I mean, it was like the queen of the, was it the 80s or the 90s? Probably the 80s. Just like rainbow, white and black tigers, like stationary. Like if you had Lisa Frank stationary, you were just like the most popular kid at school. Just like imagine a rainbow tiger just threw up on everything. <laughs> That's Lisa Frank. Well, I will tell you, I was not popular in school. I was, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but I was goth before goth was cool. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm older than I look. And I was like the Anne Rice reading, wearing all black, you know, emo middle school. You weren't going to be into Lisa Frank. (laughs) Yeah. And then high school, I would have been the grunge era. It was the era for me of. You know, grunge, sublime would have been early college, and that's and, so funny. Yeah, so um, yeah, no, oh <laughs> rainbows were not my thing. Super no. rainbows, no rainbows. <laughs> okay, that makes sense why you don't know the least. Too, yeah. I was too angsty, <laughs> angsty oh artist. Gosh. I love the rainbows, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I love it. Cool, so fantastic. What are some key attributes that you think? I mean, you have so much experience in this field. What are some things that you've seen that really make a hit? Like, I know this isn't going to be the end all be all, but we all want to know what are the things that make something go viral? What are some of the things that you've seen that just make something like the most popular toy at Christmas that's selling out? I feel like if I'd figured this out, I would already be, I would be, (laughs) I would be viral. But of course, what I've, what I've seen in other toys, um, one, okay. So it's not just toys, but also people I've interviewed about right. when they've gone viral, how it happened. Yeah. You, they already tend to have somewhat of an engaged following and it's okay. a very, very niche following. So it's like, you know, people are following me because I created this, uh, coloring book for about black Kings and Queens. I'm referencing, a. Uh, Danielle Morel Cox, who was just on my podcast. That's how oh, she neat. went viral. Um, or there's this toy store, good friend of mine, Richard Durr, he manages, he owns a learning express and it's a very mm. niche, like local following people that love this toy store for birthdays yeah. and holidays and all this stuff. Um, so I see like when you, an account or a brand has this like niche following, that's mm. the base for the vir- virality. Then when you post something that can either like a toy that can either make an adult's like everyday boring life more fun, like, like everyday boring adult stuff that we always have to do. But then there's like, I don't know, for an example, an example would be, I'm just thinking my friend has a jewelry line uh, that is like themed off of like toys and cookies and things like that, like playful jewelry. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So like something like that, that makes everyday life a little bit more playful. 
But then for kids, it seems to be like things that are related to like challenges or just like gross, <laughs> just <laughs> gross or challenges. Yeah. I have two boys. Oh, <laughs> they're all about Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast. Oh yeah, he's a YouTuber who's banking it. He's like the sixth most popular YouTube on the internet. And he does these crazy challenges like and gives away millions of dollars. And okay. it's all about the challenges. Um, and they're crazy and some of them are gross. <laughs> these guys are like 10-year-olds and 20-year-old bodies. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. My boys love them. I'm like, stop watching Mr. Beast. Please. Like we <laughs> The one ones that drive me crazy is Mr. Beast reacts. It's just him and his friend wearing a headset and being like watching stuff. And then, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, like just reacting like 10 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or whoa, dude. Or bros. Bros is the big word, right? But <laughs> the 10 year olds are using, they call each other it bros. Bro. That's really funny. <laughs> God, they're so silly. Okay, so um, we did art, we did product, we did presentation, we are moving on to educate. And I don't really mean how do you educate yourself, although that's part of it. But I use this term more as like, how do you educate your audience? How do you communicate and market and educate your audience as to your product? So mm. um you know, let's start with what conferences do you go to? Because I always like to hit on what are the major conferences because there's so many out there yeah. for the different industries. So what are your, some of your favorite conferences? Because number one, that's a great place to learn. Yeah. there. I mean, there's so many, but also since COVID, it's changed where there's like so many virtual options now too. Oh, yeah. Um, but do you like recently, the virtual ones? I mean, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy the in-person ones, but you cannot catch everything like you and it's ex it's exhausting you can't catch everything oh so God, it's a little yeah. bit frustrating for me i think i like the in person um for the actual trade show aspect walking but yeah. i think i prefer the virtual for the like educational interesting just, yeah i mean obviously like learning in person is better but just for the time's sake and just for not being able to hit everything, needing to eat lunch, like it's just, you know, I, yeah. I want to hit them all. And you can't do that when yeah. you're in person trying to go to a trade show. And anyway, I'm taking us off topic. So no, no, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes off topic stuff is the best. Right. So which so, conferences do you go to in person? Which ones do you spring yes. for? And usually, which virtual ones do you spring for too? Well, usually it's New York Toy Fair, but that hasn't happened in a while. But hopefully we'll come yeah. back this year. Um, shy tag also hasn't happened for a while, but I watched that shy virtually. Tag. Well, now it's called, um, people of play, I think people of play okay. week. Um, okay. yeah, but the old, I haven't heard of tag. that one. Um, have you heard of the taggy awards? No. Oh, okay. Well, Do it's all one of uh, the taggy award. I recently won a taggy award, but now <laughs> rock on dude. Nice. Shameless self promo. So <laughs> Um, no, the shy tag is like an inventor innovation conference. Uh, oh. it's been renamed to people of play week, but it's been virtual for like two years. That might be why, you know, you don't know Matt Nuccio is part of it. So wait, no. Okay. Yeah. I'll look that one up. People of play yeah. that is so much more memorable to me than whatever well, it, the other name was. It started as a local show. 
So it was okay. Chicago Twin Game Week. Okay. So shy tag for short. Um, so now, yeah, oh. they're expanding. I wouldn't uh, have been able to spell that. Yeah. I, I would have been spelling honestly, it S-H-Y-T-A-G. Yes, tag. that's how they tell you to pronounce it, actually, on their website. <laughs> it's so funny. But I loved it. Because, like, for me as a toy person, once you're in the industry, there's something, in my opinion, nice about this shows having these, like, cities they're branded for. Like, New York Toy Fair gets a vibe of New York. Shy tag okay. gets a vibe of Chicago. And you just kind of, like... As you're planning your annual calendar, you're like, I'm going to be in Chicago in, in November and I'm going to be in New York in February. And it's just, I don't know, it's like a flow and a vibe, but whatever, that's ending I can't, now, so. I can't let you go on that little comment there about yeah. planning your annual calendar. Yeah. I think that's actually a really great tip that I want to what tease out here for people. Yeah. Is like, I never used to do this. I never used to plan out a calendar. And then I'd hear about these great events like the week before or you know, or even a month before, and then I'd be scrambling or I'd find out about them totally afterwards. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Um. So when do you plan out your annual calendar? Oh my gosh. I mean, nowadays I try to book as soon as I hear something is finalized because of the prices of plane tickets. Right. <laughs> so I'm like booking four months in advance, my tickets. Um, yeah. So you can't, you can't fully plan, like book a spot to stay uh, mm-hmm. a year in advance. But I do have, I actually created this thing called like a, a toy trade show handbook because oh, nice. I wanted to like know all the shows that were coming up. So you can go through this handbook and be like, okay, so this is coming up in January. This is coming up in November. And I just mentally say like, I'm definitely going here, definitely going here. Maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go there. Mm-hmm. And then in my, in my Google calendar, I'll block off like the week. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, like people will book meetings, people, you'll book yeah. podcasts, you'll, yeah. you'll do, you know, and then I've had that happen where I knew I was going to an event in three months, but I hadn't bought the tickets or the hotel yet. So that information wasn't on my calendar blocking yeah. that time. Yeah. And then I had like interviews and I had consultation calls and, oh, I had, no. and so you can't do that. So I say at least Extra six stress. months before, yeah at least six months before, just block off that time in your calendar and actually make it like annual sometimes. So I don't oh, even have nice. to go in next year and at least something will be blocked. <laughs> might nice. have to I like it. that idea. Yeah. Do you have this handbook, handbook available to the public? Yeah, it's on my um, website. If you go into the toycoach.com, there's like a shop tab and there's a toy trade show handbook. But also if you want to do the work manually yourself, there's this site called, I think it's 10 times. Mm. I think that's 10 X. No, I think it's called 10, like literally the number 10 and then times. Well, I Um, actually put together a calendar as well um, that I try and keep up to date. Now, mine spans multiple industries, though. So I have a, um, I call it the calendar art. Talk about French. It's calendar apostrophe art. Oh, fancy. (laughs) Well, you know, it's easier to say if you look at it like that, calendar art or whatever, um, where I've tried to create a spreadsheet that shows all of the conferences in science fiction and fantasy, as well as um, the submission deadlines for like greeting cards. Uh, So I'll be definitely adding some of yours, but there's so many. So as I get and hear about them from podcast guests, I add them to this calendar art, but I want to check out your handbook. I want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I love it. 
the site 10 times is good too. So you could look there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of them out there. There's some that yeah. you can sort by region. Yes. Um, I just found out about a new one about the craft fair insider. If you want to do craft fairs, oh, that lists all the craft fairs across the country. If that's your, you know, gig. Yeah. The only, the re- one reason I guess I thought I would make that handbook, I thought it would be helpful to people that were listening to my podcast, but then I realized as I was writing it, opposed to the sites that just kind of list by region and list the name of the show and how much it is to go there. This was more like kind of tips from somebody who's an insider in the industry, who's some of the shows I've been to, some I haven't, but some I have friends that have gone that have told me certain things. So there's like tips inside this handbook just to say like, this show's good for this. This is why you should go look out for this, look out for that. Um, That's not so much focused on how much the show is and where it is and like all that. It's just more like if you're an inventor, this event will happen at the show and this is why you should be there. Yeah. It's a little bit of a different, right? Like, yeah, no, that's what I, that's why I always like to ask that question is because, you know, there are certain shows that if you're getting into a niche, you need to be at. Yeah. And so hearing it from the people that are, yeah. And which ones are the best and which ones aren't going to be rewarding. Yeah. And I had my friend download it who works in the toy industry with me. And I was like, why did you buy this handbook from me? And he was like, cause it's awesome. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm like if someone in the industry thinks it's helpful, that's cool. <laughs> that is a big compliment. I big know. Compliment. Very cool. So speaking of conferences and educating your audience, you're a podcaster as well. Yes. What's your podcast and where can we find it? And how do you suggest people kind of start to grow and educate their audience? Like, what do you find the most successful? Okay. Um, so my podcast is Making It in the Toy Industry. I call it the Toy Coach Podcast, Making It in the Toy Industry. Fantastic. Um, yes. You can Succinct. find it. Yes. It's just direct. It's exactly what is what it is. You can find it at the toycoachpodcast.com or just the toycoach.com and there's a podcast button. And the second question was, how do I recommend people promote their, their selves? Yeah. Like, have you found podcasting to be one of the best ways to grow an audience or do you, um, are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Like what platforms do you uh, yeah. find rewarding? successful mm, rewarding um, <laughs> i would find none of them rewarding <laughs> so, i mean podcasting i guess i don't see podcasting as a platform but i guess i would say i think podcasting would be the most rewarding mm. i always wanted to do something with my voice i felt like i had a good audio voice like for yeah. voiceovers and things yeah um, so i'm happy to do podcasting because i get to use that voice I get to use my knowledge. I get to share how I think. I get to interview people, which is fun. Yeah. Um, so I love the podcast for that. Uh, it can be a good way to grow your audience, but it requires a lot of promotion on other apps. So the podcast alone won't be enough to get new listeners or to hold on to listeners. Mm-hmm. It's email marketing, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. It's like, I actually, because I was just on my honeymoon, I didn't do anything for like two months, two months, two weeks. Yeah. Um, And I can see a significant drop in downloads this past week. The week before was pretty okay. But this past week, I did notice a significant drop in downloads. So I'm like, the promotion works, Mm -hmm. but it's like constant. (laughs) It's like exhausting. (laughs) Well, that leads us perfectly into Amplify. How do you Amplify? 
and automate. So how do you do all that? Like, do you have any apps you use? Like, do you have a system, a spreadsheet? Like what? I do. I do have a system, but I don't love it. So I'm not committed to it yet. Um, (laughs) I I use an app called Smarter Q. Smarter Q. Okay. Yeah. For posting to all the social media places. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of those out there now. Yeah. Smarter Q got recommended me recommended to me by someone. And I kept, every time I try to leave it, I look at another platform and it's more expensive and they don't post to as many places as I need to. Mm-hmm. So it becomes not worth it. Right. So I just keep staying. So I'm just going <laughs> to stay again, I guess. Um, and it's good. It posts everywhere. Mostly it's all right. And can you, <laughs> you can preset your posts to go out? You can, but these days, the most important posts that you want to post, you can't really preset like reels, for example. Oh, yeah. You can't preset a reel. And that's like, or at least with this app, you can't. And that is going to get the most visibility. So mm. I don't know. Okay. So my system. So my system, when it's working, is <laughs> usually, um, so I have some help with a copywriter to write out my descriptions for my podcast episodes. I go nice. through it and I give feedback and I pull out blurbs and use that to create my posts. And I pull out quotes from the podcast episode itself, whether I wrote it or it's an interview. And I use that to create my posts and I post them. But what I found um, for my... Like text over image? So like a quote over an image? Depends. So we have different types of images. So like like I have different themes and categories for posts. So if it's like a Toy Tip Tuesday, it'll be a specific quote or some words about a toy tip or it'll be an image say it's like, Oh, I posted one recently. I, it was a picture of my wedding cake. I had some Funko cake toppers made for my wedding (laughs) and the skin tone of my Funko doesn't match me. So the toy tip was about choosing Pantone colors. So Mm. I posted this image. It didn't have any like text around. It was just the image of the cake toppers and the toy tip is in the caption. Um, But if it's another day, it might be a written toy tip with more written information in the caption. Or it might be a quote video from a guest with, you know, their information. Or um, it might just be kind of like a getting to know the toy coach post or a post where I was on like a show or, or mm-hmm. an interview with someone famous. So it depends. But what I'm actually seeing now, I don't know if I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to keep doing social media because it's so, it doesn't seem to be giving the return specifically Instagram. Yeah. So, I'm thinking I might do more images that are more my lifestyle, but with captions that are more informational because I think they mm-hmm. actually do the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm I'm testing that out and I hope that it's something I can tell my students to do, but these things change so quickly. You never know what works for one person versus works for you. You really yeah. can't have one way to do it. I think I think you're absolutely, you hit on a point though of like consistency. I know I take the summers off because I just have to. Yeah. Um, With the two boys and being home with them, I just, you know, now I can record and start to do all fall and all winter. But yeah, when you, um, so being consistent is so, so important. And then, you know, promoting these larger pieces of content in smaller chunks because not everybody has an hour to kill listening to a podcast, you know, some people do, they've got a commute or they're sitting at their desk working or, or whatever, but, you know, having these little snippets and then having a system. So, um, that actually leads us to 
maybe jumping ahead just a little bit. We haven't done licensing and contract terms, but I do want to jump ahead just a little bit to the S for success and just measurements. So how do you keep yourself accountable then? So you're talking about consistency, you're talking about apps and what is working, what isn't. And I find this one of the hardest things as a creative. So maybe you can give us some insights is how do you come up with a system and keep yourself accountable for posting to social media and then monitor and track I don't. The effective- <laughs> I don't monitor. I, you. I don't. No, I mean, I don't. Screw it. Nope. <laughs> I used to, like, I'm, a, I'm not a social media manager. Like, I'm not, that's not. So here's what I do. I realized okay. after trying to do all of the things as if they're all my full-time job, that's not going to yeah. work. So I can't be a full-time right. social media manager, a full-time educator, a full-time podcaster. I can't do all, a full-time consultant. I can't do yeah. all Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, I can post every day if it's not all needing to be the best content ever. I can do that. So I, so mm-hmm. sometimes I, so usually when I'm not getting married and going on a honeymoon, I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that. Um, but do you what do I it think, in the morning? Like, no, so you I just get it out up. of the way? No, or? I queue up for the whole week. For okay. me, I'll have one day a week where I'm like this, like Wednesday usually because my podcast drops. I'll say today I'm willing to like post a reel, an extra reel or an extra this or an extra that manually. Mm -hmm. But my goal is to just queue up the whole week in smarter queue. So I don't have to think about it. I don't want to. So you pre-schedule and automate those posts to go out every Wednesday and then maybe do one by hand on Wednesday. No, I'll automate them to go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, okay. And then I'll do some extra ones on Wednesday if I'm like in the mood, you know, (laughs) (laughs) emotionally. But no, my main focus is number to track is the podcast downloads. Cause I'm like, I can't track everything. So it's podcast and then it's like website hits. Okay. So I focus on those. And in the the way that I focus is like, okay, what's driving those downloads? What's driving the website hits? I'll do more of that. Or I'll make sure I'm doing my best work when I do that. If it's LinkedIn, if it's Instagram, if it's like an ad, maybe like I try to do more of that, but I just focus on those metrics because if I try to focus on like how many people have clicked on this and that, like, I, I don't care. Like I don't have time for all that. Um, but how do you um, tell which post is driving to the podcast or driving to the website? So I don't look what post I look what platform so okay. is it all coming from Instagram. Is it all coming from this or that? And I, but I do take note of like, for example, I had a, a guest on my podcast um, and with all my podcast guests, I have like an image and then I, I take their, their image and we overlay it on a quote with my podcast logo. And okay. I did notice that one of my guests came on and, and the quotes, like a video quote. So the words appear. Right. And I noticed my last guest, he had like, like 20 likes or something on the post about his, his episode. And then the next day I manually posted about these, like the Funko cake toppers and mm-hmm. it has like a hundred something likes. And, mm. and comments, right? Yeah. And so I see that and I'm, you know, I'm not counting, I'm not really counting um, engagement all the time, but I see the, the disparity. So in my right. mind, I'm like, okay, there's something I have to do here. When I have podcast guests, what can I do differently rather than this quote graphic? Because it's obviously not working. What's probably happening is my followers are expecting to see me when they scroll, right? And now right. they're seeing this person who's a guest on my show and it's not me. Right. So either I need to Photoshop us together where I'm going like this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or I need to, I need to screenshot us in the zoom call or I need to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. something that 
makes them feel like um, we're cl- I'm closer to this person or because the Funko cake toppers te- technically weren't me, but they were my wedding. Or I need mm-hmm. to focus more on a toy with this person. Can I get a picture of them holding a toy? Can I get them like, so I, I did, I do notice these things. I'm like, okay, right. I have to make a long-term change to how I do these quote graphics because mm-hmm. it's not getting the feedback that I want. Well, I love the way you're like thinking about this and and sharing yeah. this with this thought process with us out loud because it's yeah. really a nice deep dive into like I think an approachable method to handling social media rather than saying, you know, go into Facebook analytics and oh look God, at like, your <laughs> your CTR, your click-through rate. I and- have time for that. <laughs> I do that with paid ads. I do that with paid ads but not with free posts. No. Right. Right. All right. So, um, we did art product presentation, educate, amplify, let's talk licensing and contract terms. This is one that I like to do in plain English for people because I think creatives are intimidated by the legalese, if you will. Is that a technical term? Legalese? Technical? (laughs) I know it. I know it. I know the term. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, contracts can be really scary and licensing can be really scary. So what are some of the most important terms um, or, you know, things that you look for in a contract that you'd be willing to uh, give us some tips and tricks on, like maybe define for us in plain English, things that we should know and look for? Sure. I will preempt this by saying I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's an acronym for that now. Currently, there's an acronym. Um, A-N-A-L-A. I'm not a lawyer. There's an acronym that people use in Reddit. I just learned it last night. Oh, I'm going to look that up. Yes. It's like, I'm not a lawyer. That can't but. legally be stand- standing. <laughs> My lawyer told me I need this phrase. So <laughs> it's some kind of me. It's 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 yeah. tech speak. That's so, so funny. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't remember yeah. it off the top of my head because it's a long one. It's like six letters. It's like A N A L A S or something. Oh my um, God. But it's something that you put before you spout some Give- legal advice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. There's not legal advice. But <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. But here we go. I, so it depends on the type of contract I'm looking at. If I'm looking uh-huh. at like an entertainment contract, I'm looking for the word perpetuity. I literally will just command F the whole contract before even reading it and just like type in the word perpetuity to search okay. the whole contract for it. Um, no, wait, tell us what oh, sorry, this type yes. of contract is. Cause this is a new oh, one for me. I like do licensing contracts bill. Right. So an entertainment contract, cause sometimes I do like shows or I'll appear in like an episode of something so mm-hmm. I want to know um, how long they want rights to whatever it is I'm recording for. Mm. Quite often it is perpetuity. <laughs> Quite often. Um, perpetuity not, is like forever, right? Forever. Yeah. And perpetuity mm-hmm. would just mean forever. It's, it's pretty normal in the entertainment industry, I've learned. It's a scary thing, especially when you don't know how they'll edit it. Ooh, yeah. So you don't know. And it and it will even say in there, like you're kind of at the mercy of their editors. I actually just turned down a pretty turned down a pretty big opportunity because I didn't think that they were paying enough for the stress that I would be under emotionally to prepare for the show, knowing that 
they would own it in perpetuity and I don't know how I'd be edited and they'd be asking off the cuff questions. And Mm. I felt as great of an opportunity as it is, and I've done it before and it's amazing um, visibility. I I also know the emotional stress that it put me through and I don't know that it's worth not being paid for. (laughs) Uh, No, that's great. That's great advice. So an entertainment contract is for appearing on a, on, on a video or something like that. And you look for in perpetuity. Um, yeah, like we've, I've always heard of exclusivity. That's one we always look for in licensing contracts. That's, that's one, you know, to look for because it means they get it and nobody else can Mm -hmm. other terms, other thoughts. Yeah. And then I would say when I'm hiring a freelancer, you want to, I mean, the contract you name you want is like a work for hire agreement, whether you're Mm -hmm. hiring a freelancer or you're being hired as a freelancer, it's important to Mm -hmm. know what work for hire contracts typically mean that anything could be called a work for hire contract. You have to read it, but like typically it means that whatever you create, whoever you're creating it for owns it outright. You won't get any royalties or additional payments, which is important to know if you're creative giving away your artwork to someone who's going to make millions of them and sell millions of them or are someone who's trying to purchase artwork or music um, and you want to have the freedom to sell it and use it however you want. It's really important to know that you have those rights in that Mm -hmm. kind of contract. And then for licensing, like in a toy space, minimum guarantee is one that pops into mind. Um, It's it's a term that tells you how much this company is going to pay you regardless of how many they actually sell. So say you come up with an invention, you, the company licenses that invention, they're going to use it and they're going to uh, produce product based on that invention. Usually there's a minimum guarantee of like how many units they will promise to kind of pay you for. It's really a mm-hmm. dollar amount. Yeah. Um, and it's not technically about the units, but it's the dollar amount they're promising to pay you. Mm-hmm. And, I've seen that one. Right. So they're assuming they'll be able to sell this many units. That's why they're agreeing to that amount. So you want to know what that number is, because if they don't sell it to anybody, or if they sell it to somebody and somebody charges it back to them, you want to know how much money you're actually guaranteed to get, like no matter what. Um, yeah. So yeah. That, I would say that's a good one. That is a good one. That is a good one to know. I hadn't seen that one before. Oh. Um, and before a certain, I'll tell you the story later. <laughs> <laughs> a certain thing happened. A thing. I did a thing. All right. So art product presentation, educating, amplifying through automation, licensing and contract terms. And finally, uh, S for success. <laughs> so how do you measure success? What are your measurements for success and how do you celebrate it? Oof, I'm not good at celebrating my achievements. That's why I married the man I married. Uh. You know, that's why I asked this question because so many of us creatives, we do yeah. these things and we just, oh yeah, I did it. I did this thing. And uh, okay. And we just go on and we do something mm-hmm. else and we don't stop to celebrate it. Nothing um, is good enough. Yeah. I think as a creative, you are so aware of others' creativity that when you do something that's great, right? And our great. You just look over your shoulder and you're like, oh, but that's actually better. (laughs) And like, so I shouldn't celebrate because look at them, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's so hard. It's hard. Um, It is. 
So, <laughs> well, how do you measure success? I know you look at your posts and you look right. at engagement, but like, what's a win for you? Honestly, so- a win for me is just being able to continue doing my business mm-hmm. um, and having a, a lifestyle that is free and sustainable. Mm. It's a, it's a win. Yeah. Um, so if I, if I were to work again, like full-time work, I would want to be able to feel, or at least most of the time feel like I have this kind of a free open lifestyle. And it's not necessarily about just being able to take naps whenever I want, but it's, <laughs> So that's your measurement of success. Can I yes. nap today? Can I? Yes, nap? I can. I can totally nap. But it's like, I just, I don't really believe in our like hustle culture anymore. Not that I, I'm a very hard worker. But oh, I, yeah. Yeah, but you I, are. Oh, <laughs> thank you. All the stuff but, you do. Heck yeah. But I want to work when I'm feeling energized to work and I want to nap when I need to nap. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I just I do. I just want to, I'll stay up till four in the morning working, but I want to nap at 2 PM if I need to. (laughs) Yeah. I just had a nap this morning. I ain't ashamed to admit it. I had to, my oldest son was so nervous about going into middle school. He kept me up till two o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. I can't sleep mommy. Oh, I tried everything. Meditation, journaling, warm milk. (sighs) I'll go to oh, sleep. You got to try the brown noise. That's my new best friend. <laughs> oh what? my God. Brown noise is a, a is that YouTube. different from white noise? It is. And I did not know that. And it, it sounds like an airplane. It sounds like the hum of an airplane when you're in an airplane. Like, oh. a, like it's like a lower frequency. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. Ooh, I'll have <laughs> to check that out. I do like, um, I have some music on that I work with that is just tonalities oh, and i like those nice. deeper g i'll have to tell you rolf kent i think uh-huh. fantastic album for working and Ooh, it's just okay, i'll look into that yeah yeah rolf kent. so being able to nap a yeah. measurement of success <laughs> but I can, okay fine wait let me let me do let me do a new one uh so also <laughs> i feel like nope nope know. we're going with that one I, i'm <laughs> sorry but like for success i mean i just really enjoy the naps <laughs> so, i mean Who i doesn't people identify me and say like oh you're the toy coach and you help me do this and you help me do that but it feels like selfish not selfish like um it feels Self-care. bad to no it feels bad to feel good about those things like it mm. feels so self-involved to feel oh, I so see. proud about those things. Like you helped me do this. And I'm so happy I did. And I'm so happy for you, but I almost feel like I can't take credit because you came up with an amazing idea after listening to my podcast, but it's still your idea. So right. I just, I, well, that's humility, but know, yeah. I think you just got to flip it and realize that it's pride in your students. Like, right. You know, it's okay yeah. to be proud of somebody else's achievements because yeah. I had trouble with that when I was teaching. Um, And then I had to realize that, yeah, I'm not their mom, but I can be proud of them. Yeah. Because they've they've made strides and you've helped them in those strides. Yeah. So it's a weird feeling. (laughs) It is. It's it's very layered and it sounds like you're very humble. So I hope so. (laughs) I'm trying to stay there. Like, and that's the other thing. Like too many, too much praise can just so I'll take a nap and that (laughs) 
Self-care is not selfish. Sometimes you got to recharge, especially after these conferences. Like you said, they're very oh wearing. Oh my gosh. So wearing. Great. But just, yeah, wearing. You give away so much in these things, like so much energy and yeah. so much time that, yeah, you got to really take care of yourself. Otherwise you'll get sick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I've been sick. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got COVID after the last one. Lucky me. Oh, did you really? I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. It was fine. <laughs> I I spent the first five days of my family vacation in the Florida Keys in isolation, but I had a beautiful view. Aww. I couldn't have picked a better place to get COVID. COVID yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, well, I had like years ago, I was like really sick, like, like uh-huh. bad sick. But I think ever since that happened, I was, I just got a little bit more like, I need to enjoy life. And I also need to, to just go after my dreams. If it's going to be a CEO of a toy company that either I own, or I just joined, I need to go after those things. And then I also just need to like, take the vacation. <laughs> just take yes. the vacation. So yes. yeah, ever since then, I've just have a very different view on stuff. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It really is. And I think that's important for people to hear is that you Self-care is not selfish. You've got to celebrate your success and not wear yourself out and take the time to recharge. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to hire you because you are a coach and you help people take their ideas from idea concept to fruition, Mm -hmm. where can they get hold of you? Yeah. You can email me at info at the toycoach.com. You could go on my website. There's a phone number on there. Um, What's the website? Uh, thetoycoach.com. I'm the toy coach everywhere. Uh, <laughs> she is but, the toy coach, folks. Yeah. But I also do, um, like, aside from coaching with Toy Creators Academy, which is great, and I would love to have you join if you have an idea. It's like a 12-week program. Typically, when we do a live launch, I also started doing a self-study version of the program where you can go through the materials, and then there's a separate opportunity to, like, meet once a month. So it's not as, like, 12 weeks every single week and intensive. Right. Um, so they could do it at their own pace. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It, yeah. And it's more affordable too. And I think people appreciate that as well. Mm-hmm. And then, but I still do corporate like clients or individual clients where if you want to hire me for a month or two to help with either design or PR, um, I don't have a ton of availability, but I take one or two clients on at a time. Fantastic. You are all over the place and I love it. You've given <laughs> us such great information. Thank you so much. Aaron. Oh, thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us in this week's episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it and be sure to follow us on your favorite platform so you never miss out on an episode. All right. I'll see you next week. Later. Later.